Today we're going to be talking about making decisions, about wisdom, and about prayer. So it would be remiss if I didn't kick off this session by just praying. So let's turn to the Lord now um, and just ask for help. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity um, to, to, to learn, um, to dive into just kind of this question of what does it look like to make decisions? How do we do that in a world where it feels often like nothing is certain? Lord, I pray that you would give clarity to my words today, that you would help, um, help many of these women um, as, as they may be wrestling with anxiety or fear or confusion for what it looks like um, to make decisions, whether they have something in mind or whether it's just generally in life. Lord, uh, we just heard from Megan about what a help your Holy Spirit is. And I pray that you would work in and through every woman in this room and that you would be an, a, a perfect helper to us as we make decisions. We cannot do it without you. Uh, we need you for help and we thank you that you are a God who helps. Amen. So in my family, we have a post-meal tradition called Candy Bowl. And if you have eaten all of your meal, then you get the privilege of selecting one piece of candy for dessert from the Candy Bowl. And my eldest child, he usually knows exactly what he wants, and he grabs it before the bowl even hits the counter. And my youngest, who will turn two later this month, she's also pretty indiscriminate because she basically realizes any candy is good. And so she'll also just grab anything. But my middle child, Eden, it is really hard for her. First, she'll look at the bowl. And then she'll say, hmm, what are all the choices? And then she likes to pick out a few pieces that look good and she lays them all in the counter in a row in order to evaluate which piece of candy she wants. And eventually, it usually comes to the point where I have to say, okay, I'm taking candy bowl away, and I start loading everything back up. And it's only after I've packed up the candy and I'm moving it back to the cupboard that she finally reaches out and snatches her choice at the last minute. The decision is hard for her to make, and perhaps you guys can relate to Eden. Does it ever feel to you like there are just too many good options to choose from? How can you decide on just one? Or perhaps you're struck by the anxiety that the cosmic candy bowl is about to be whisked away from you before you can even make a good choice. Or even worse, perhaps there's the fear that if you do your best to make a good decision, it's still going to turn out that you selected coal and not candy from that bowl. And what impact does that have on you? What impact does that have on us as we try and make decisions? Perhaps it means that you hesitate to commit to events on campus with your fellowship. Or maybe you found yourself in a position where you're, you're putting off internship or job choices to the last minute. Perhaps like Eden, you're also just at risk of missing out altogether, or you have missed out on certain events because you delayed in making the decision for too long. Maybe you can make all the decisions but you just crave the certainty that they were actually the right ones. Have you ever second-guessed your choices or regretted decisions that you did make? Have you ever felt you know, overwhelmed, paralyzed, filled with anxiety with your choices? When you feel that way, it can be hard to say yes to anything. So today, we are going to be talking about how to make decisions, and I want you to leave here equipped with practical steps of um, what it actually looks like to make a decision, how you can properly evaluate and execute. Um, but that's not where we're going to start today. 
We're going to begin just by first acknowledging that we live in a really uncontrollable and sometimes just utterly terrifying world. So if you look at the first point on your outline, if you're able to find that in your packet, our uncertainty in decision-making. Um, I don't know if you knew, but Generation Z, which that's you guys, um, it's so far been recorded as the most anxious generation that we've ever seen coming to adulthood. And I don't want to guilt trip or shame you guys for that. I just want to acknowledge that there are some really good reasons for that anxiety. First, there's just so much suffering in the world. You know, even if you make all of the perfect decisions in your life, things don't always go as planned, do they? Family, fiancés, friends, even children can die. The housing market, the stock market, or even the college market can crash, maybe even while you're in the middle of your degree. Your body can be injured in a car crash, a sports game, some other accident. You know, global war or war in your own country can erase the future that you once saw. As we've all been through, global pandemic can shut down your nation. Social media, um, ghosting and cancel culture, it can ruin your life. And there can be a big fear of what, what um, implications come from the things you do online. Even as we look to the future, you know, your hard sought off dream career that you're working to earn right now, it could be eliminated due to advances in robotics or AI. You know, we cannot predict the future, and we cannot control the world that we live in, and this is really, really scary. I don't know if you've ever been scared by it, but I frequently am. But it's not just the bad stuff that makes us uncertain. It's also all the good stuff, right? If you guys are familiar with the term FOMO, the fear of missing out, or FOBO, the fear of better options, both of those are things. Uh, they're real problems that create anxiety and uncertainty. There are hundreds of different salad dressings in the grocery store. So what if you didn't make the best, the healthiest, the yummiest, the most financially responsible salad dressing choice? Like that can produce anxiety. If you get invited to two fun sounding events and both of them seem good and you're friends with both the people that are hosting them, like you don't want to offend either, either host, where do you go? What church do you go to? What apartment do you rent? What jobs do you apply for? And then which one do you say yes to? You know, who do you date? Who do you marry? Which clubs do you get involved in? You can pretty quickly start spiraling down with just good choices. So what do we do with all this? How do we make decisions about our little life when we don't know the out, what the outcome will be in this big, uncertain, uncontrollable world? And the good news today is that while our world and our lives are very outside of our control, we have a God who is utterly, perfectly, and eternally in control. And nothing happens that God did not foresee or authorize in your life. And this is going to lead us into our second points here, our confidence in decision-making. I'm so thankful for the two main sessions that we've already heard because I feel like Shannon and Megan have already really expounded on this. So you're just going to get to hear more of that today, which I hope will be encouraging and helpful for you. So our confidence that this world may seem out of control, but God is in control. And this has many, many implications in our lives. Again, you've already heard some from our main sessions, but here are just five 
um, that I've really d distilled and thought would be helpful as we think through making decisions. So again, on your outline, there's some blanks to fill in. First, um, God is sovereign. God is in control. He's the king, the sovereign Lord. And this means that we do our best to make wise decisions. We, we do our best um, to, to come to a conclusive decision. But in the end, God's will will prevail. So if you have ever struggled with FOBO, the fear of better options, fear no more. You need not fear that you are going to ruin your life by picking the wrong option. Rather, you can trust God to guide you, to protect you, and even to provide for you if you do actually pick the worst option that was out there. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you future and a hope. Proverbs 19, 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So God is sovereign. Next, God is not distant. God is not distant. So if God is actually in control, then you can be assured that he is not far off. And in fact, he is working redemptively in this broken world and in our imperfect attempts at decision-making. God is not distant. Psalm 46, um, I love this psalm. It begins by saying, God is our refuge and strength a very present help, a present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. And it, it concludes um, by saying, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord is a present help. He's a fortress for us. He's not distant. Three, um, God will help. So God will help. Since God is in control, it also means that you don't have to be on your own when it comes to making decisions. He will help you, and this is good news for us. We're gonna talk more about this um, in the next point, but um, for now I'll read Proverbs 3, five through six. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. God will equip you with the tools needed to make decisions if you trust in him. Number four is that God knows your failures. God knows your failures. God already knows every mistake you have made and that you will make. He knows every foolish thing that you will decide. And yet he still chose you and he saved you. And he is currently at work in you, fashioning you more into the image of Christ. If you are a Christian today, all you have to do is say yes to his invitation. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were still in sin, um, God shows you. He invited you to come know us. He knows your failures. We will never make all of the perfect decisions in life. And yet God still wants to be at work in you. And the last um, point there is that God has ensured your happy ending. God has ensured your happy ending. If you have made a decision to follow Christ, then you know the end of the story, right? This is what our main session speakers were talking about. Your life will end in joyful eternity, no matter what happens in between. 
So if you've ever struggled with FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out, you, again, don't have to fear any longer because you have been invited to the best forever party. And because of Christ's work on the cross, you will not miss out on it. Even more, all of the little things that we worry about missing out on, they just pale in comparison to the happy ending that you can look forward to. It is a guarantee in life. John 3.16 promises, um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Psalm 16.11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We have a fullness of joy to look forward to, that even as we may be stressed and worried about making the right decisions now, we know the ending of what will come. God is in control, and this gives us great certainty as we wrestle through large and small decisions. Yes, you know, the world is big, and it's full of many good and bad things that create uncertainty. But God and his character are certain, and he remains firmly in control. And even more, he has actually given us a great ally in making those decisions, which leads us to the next point on your outline. God doesn't want to only help us with what happens after we make a decision, right? He also wants to be a partner in our actual decision-making. Because if you think about it, it's not great if you excel, if you're really good at making and executing decisions, um, but all of them are really bad ones. So again, we can find great hope in the fact that the Lord is in control and that he gives help. It means that he's the one who has the answers, who knows what really is the best in each situation. Uh, as you've already heard, I'm a mom of three, soon to be four young children, and as I look to the future, part of me will always be sad as I think about the day when they start leaving the house. But in the meanwhile, I'm also trying to really train my kids diligently for that day. Someday, I do not want my grown son to call me up and ask me if he has permission to check out a certain book from the library or to ask if he has permission to go hang out with his church small group tonight. I want him to be equipped to make these decisions all on his own, right? No healthy parent wants their grown child to have such an immature dependence on them. Yes, I still want to be a sounding board for my mature son when he really needs it, but I want to have trained him faithfully so that he has already internalized and is living out the basic principles that I would have counseled him in. And the desire for my son is that he would know and learn to live by the principles of wisdom. The Bible's book of Proverbs teaches us about wisdom. It tells us that wisdom has been with God since the beginning. In fact, God used wisdom to create the universe. And while Proverbs will sometimes use the imagery of wisdom as a lady, um, Scripture ultimately points towards wisdom being a facet of God's character that is perfectly found in the pers person of Jesus Christ. And this is good news. It means that the more we pursue the person of wisdom, Jesus, the more we will understand and love the principles of wisdom. So what are these principles of wisdom? You know, why is wisdom such an ally for us in decision-making? Wisdom helps us discern what God would have us do in the difficult decisions of life. It sheds light on what is significant and what is unimportant. Wisdom helps us to know when to speak and when to stay silent. 
It brings clarity to which actions will actually give you greater life and which will lead you towards death. Wisdom is the creator God's knowledge of the human condition of the world of creation. So in the realm of decision-making, it can often feel as if we need to figure out God's secret will through like gut feelings, right? Or secret signs or writing in the sky or kind of if I flip open my Bible to this random page, like this will be God's word for me today um, and they'll help me make my decision. Um, but rather, God calls us to grow in wisdom. It's this ally that he's given us so that our minds and our affections can be patterned after God's character. Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're encouraged to renew our minds um, to grow in this thing called wisdom so that we can test and discern and figure out what is the will of God. What does this look like? So again, often it can feel like the key to navigating God's will for us is like having God whisper to us in the dark so we can navigate like this pitch black room and get to the other side, you know, right? You want to hear God's voice saying like, go left, go right, you know, watch out for the cat, don't trip over the furniture. Um, but in reality, we have this ally, wisdom, who slowly begins turning on the lights of that room so that we can learn to navigate the room ourselves and walk without banging into things. Wisdom turns on the lights for us so that we can see more clearly. How does one grow in wisdom? Um, there's a lot that could be said on this. But uh, for the purpose of today, Proverbs 4 or 5, it would say, just go get it. Um, chase after the one who made wisdom, the one from which all wisdom flows. You know, the more you pursue Jesus Christ, the more you read your Bible, the more you spend time with God, seek after wise Christians, read wise books, and pray <laughs> asking for wisdom. If you ask for it, the more you will grow in it. Wisdom is kind of like a family trait. Uh, if you are part of the Simbala family, you are probably going to start loving books and reading and visits to the library. We can already see that in our kids. And if you are in the family of God, you are going to start looking like wisdom himself. And the more and more you pursue the family of God and, and, and live out the reality of being a member of a family of God, you will naturally and unconsciously live out the principles of wisdom. <clears throat> Just like Simbala's love to read, members of the family of Christ um, reflect God's character in wisdom. And the more natural it will begin to feel to quickly and easily make wise decisions. So let's pause here for a moment and just take a deep breath. Again, God has not left us alone to navigate this uncertain world. You can have confidence in his control and in the wisdom that he offers us. So without further ado, let's look at some actual practical steps for you guys, pulled from what scripture and wisdom can teach us about the actual practice of making a decision. So now at times, again, if you've grown in wisdom, you may be able to skip some of these um, steps because you've already internalized them, but these can be particularly helpful when you're making large or wide impact decisions. 
Some of the practices that I'm going to share you today are based off of a great book um, called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. I left the book in my room, so I can't hold it up to show you. Um, but if you want to flip through it later, I'll try and have it on me. I highly recommend it, and um, you should definitely check it out at some time. So um, six steps to, to making practical decisions. The first one should be on your outline there is just pray. Pray. Pray at all times. It's not really step one. It's step all throughout. Um, but ask for God's guidance, his correction, his clarity. Pray before, during, after the decision-making process. And maybe if it's a big decision, like changing your major, starting a romantic relationship, picking a new roommate, a job or a marriage or a big money investment, then stop and fast and pray for a day or for a season before you commit to your decision. So pray. 1 John 5.14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have a God who hears. So, so take these decisions to him. Second is look for scripture on the topic. So look for scripture on the topic. Whatever the area of life, you need to know what God says about it. Far too often, we let our deepest beliefs about what matters in life be informed by culture, by what's going on around us, when instead our first stop should be to see what God's word has to say about it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And as 2 Timothy says, the Bible is always relevant. And furthermore, it has a lot to say about a lot of practical topics. It can give us a baseline on who to marry, on how to take care of our bodies, of our time, about what our priorities should look like. And... Um, if you don't know where to find scripture on a certain subject, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but ask other people, like ask for help. However, I do you know, recognize that the scriptures may not extend to every topic or the nuance of your situation. And so thankfully, we are given guiding commandments or principles in scripture that always apply to our decision. For example, Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, what the greatest commandments are. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as you process your decision, ask, is there a specific scripture that applies here? And if not, or even if yes, then you can ask next, would saying yes to this glorify God? Would this decision love the Lord? Would it honor the Lord? Would it love others? If I do this, would it be faithful to the Lord's commandments? So look to scripture. Third here is to get counsel from wise people. So seek counsel. If you are involved in disciple makers on your campus, then you have an incredibly valuable resource right at your fingertips in your campus staff workers. They are godly, wise people who love you and who want to help you. So please ask them questions. Invite them into your life and into your decisions. After you graduate and during college, get involved in a local church. Ask your church leaders. Additionally, you can read quality Christian books and articles on the subject you're deciding about. You can learn about what God has to say 
from people who've already studied it and who have made mistakes in these areas, and you can learn from their mistakes. You can listen to sermons or podcasts. There are a lot of great resources out there. Um, I love in the area of decision-making sometimes uh, Pastor John Piper, he has a great podcast called Ask Pastor John, which has this point almost 2,000 like real-life questions that people have asked that just has seven-minute answers highlighting scripture and wisdom. So look to resources like that. When I was in college, I had an opportunity to pursue a big research um, scholarship and to do research alongside one of our professors. And it was an offer not frequently made in the history department, so it felt like a really big honor. But at the same time, I wasn't sure if it was a good fit for me. I also wanted to do a summer internship um, with a ministry called Disciple Makers. And one of the most helpful things for me in making this decision was to seek the counsel of those around me who knew me, who knew my interests, who loved me. And most importantly, they were all people that I knew would put the Lord and his word first when it came to making decisions and giving me counsel. So Disciple Maker staff, close friends, and my mom, they all gave input into this decision. And it really helped me to see past the pride that I felt in being asked to do this research and to get down to the heart of the issue. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So take advantage of that safety. There's a safety net for you in counsel and, and um, pursue it as you make these decisions. Step number four in making a decision is going to be to logically evaluate the decision. So evaluate it logically. God has given us minds, ladies, right? So let's use them. Make a pros and cons list. Write it out. Do research on the topic. Try to really objectively consider the costs and the benefits. Decision making is hard. It is. But this strategy can make it easier. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So plan and trust the Lord. Again, towards the end of college, I had a desire to get married at some point. And it may sound really unromantic, but it was really helpful for me to sit down and to evaluate what kind of guy would make a good spouse for me. You know, what traits did I really value in a person? What sin struggles would be really incompatible with my own? What were strong preferences about his interests? And what were things that I could let go of? And later, this planning really helped me to rationally say no to some dating opportunities that were not the best, even though it felt good to be liked. And then eventually they helped me to say yes to my now husband. So use wisdom, use your mind, and evaluate your decisions logically. Use this tool. Step number five that I have on there is pray again. We've already talked about this, and so perhaps it doesn't need to be said, but I will just to emphasize its importance. Talk again with God if he really is in control. It's important that we continually give our decisions up to him. So pray again. And then sixth is decide. Just decide. Just do something. Commit. It is good to do all these practical tools, but after you've done them, you do need to actually pull the trigger, even if sometimes the answer is not perfectly clear. Do something. Use all of your knowledge, use your wisdom, trust the Lord, step out in faith, and pick an option. 
You may not realize it, but not making a decision is actually making a decision. If you try and skip this step of deciding, then you have decided something. And it's usually a choice of avoidance, and it can end up hurting yourself and others. As I mentioned um, in my second point earlier, if you have already decided to commit your life to Jesus, then you have great hope and great freedom as you make decisions. You know the ultimate end of your story, and your future happiness does not depend on every minute decision that you make. I'm really comforted by a passage in Isaiah chapter 30. In this chapter, the Lord rebukes um, his, his rebellious people, but then he describes a time when the people will repent and turn back to the Lord. They will listen to the prophets, they'll obey the Lord, and in that context comes um, chapter 30, verse 21, where God says, and your ears shall hear a word from behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left. As these people are seeking to obey the Lord, God gives them freedom to turn to the right or to the left, and the Lord will bless it. If you have weighed a decision up against Scripture, if you have sought wise counsel, if you have evaluated it with wisdom and prayed about it and the answer still isn't clear, then just pick a choice. God has given us freedom to decide, and he is faithful to work in you and in your decision, whether you pick turning to the left or to the right. So trust God, and in freedom, just choose something. And now, if you are here today and you are not a Christian, I would plead with you, sister, to closely consider Christ's invitation to you this weekend. God knows your brokenness your fears, and your uncertainties. And though he, he had none of these struggles, he still chose to die so that you could live. The greatest and most important decision you ever could make in your life is that of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you confess that he is Lord, then your future is in control. You have 100% total access to the ally of wisdom and you can be at peace in making decisions. And you can be confident that the decision of accepting Christ, that this decision will end someday with you in eternity rejoicing. And so I pray that you would closely consider that decision and decide to say yes to Jesus. Um, I hope that walking through all of these six steps is helpful for you. Um, I would love just to help it be even more practical for you, though, by giving you a real-life example of what it looks like to make a hard decision, um, because I'm sure we all make lots of those. So I'd love just to invite my friend Lindsay, who is a volunteer here this weekend, up. Um, Lindsay, what, graduated three years ago, two years ago? 2019. There you go. And she has recently had to make some big decisions. So I'd love to welcome her up here and just to hear some of what that process has looked like for her. And we'll kind of walk through the decision-making process. So can you give us some background first about one decision in particular? Sure. Um, like Melissa said, my name is Lindsay. I graduated in 2019. Um, after I got married in July of last year, I got a new job. Um, and it was in the medical field. And some things came up that were, for lack of any better term, just very morally and ethically 
not good. Um, so I had to make some decisions about that. Yeah, so let's walk through kind of these six steps and just get a picture of what it looked like for Lindsay to make a decision in the scenario that she found herself in. Um, yeah, so first, did you pray about this at all? And if so, you know, what did that look like? What were you asking the Lord for? Yeah, I prayed about it pretty, for lack of any better term, religiously. Um, I was praying like, God, I have no idea what my options even are here. I don't know what I need to do. Just make it clear for me what my options are. So that was something that I prayed. And then I also prayed, once you make it clear what my options are, let me know what the right thing is to do, what the wrong thing is to do, and just guide me towards whatever you want me to do. Yeah. Um, so next as we look at scripture, are there specific examples of scripture that really informed whether even pushing you to the point where you realize, like, I have to make a decision? Um, and then beyond that, you know, how do I think through decisions? So some of the scriptures uh, that helped me, like Melissa said, it may not have been a very specific thing, but it was the principles of love God and love uh, the people around you. If you did the um, time with God that was in your packet this morning, it talked about like you will, people will know that you are from God because you love each other. And um, the issue that I was talking about was like just a lack of love for people. So people weren't being loved or cared for the way that they should have been. Particularly clients. Like yes. Yeah. Clients place. that I worked with. This wasn't just like people on the street. Um, so these were like patients and clients that I was working with. Yeah. Um, as you kind of moved through, did you seek any counsel? Um, what did that look like? Who did you seek counsel from? You know, why those people? What did that look like? So like you said, I sought counsel from my mom. Um, she has known me longer than I have known me. Um, so she was one of them. Um, I also had a group of people from my church uh, that was like our community small group and uh, my husband as well. They were people that I knew were biblically sound. They were going to lead me in the right direction um, and kind of just know my heart for things as well. So people that knew me and knew God. Yeah. And do you feel like getting counsel like helped reveal more um, just things about yourself or about the situation that you wouldn't have seen on your own? Yeah, I think they um, revealed that there were more options than I thought there were. Um, originally, I thought my options were this or that, um, which I think we'll talk about when we get to evaluate. Um, but yeah, I it was really revealed to me that I didn't just have two choices, which is ideal, yes or no. I had like 10 different choices. Um, so knowing that I wasn't seeing the whole picture and then seeing that there were more choices that I could possibly take was a little overwhelming, but ultimately very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So let's then move on and look at, you know, kind of logically evaluating. Um, yeah. So first, why don't you lay out like the main choices that felt like they were on your table as you started to really pull apart the situation? So I had multiple choices. Um, I could leave my job, cut all ties and be unemployed doesn't sound great. I could stay at a place that uh, things that were happening that I felt were morally and ethically wrong was happening and just kind of keep my mouth shut. Also not great. Um, and then the third option was I could um, stay and I had the option to teach a class um, to kind of improve things, but I would still be staying in a place that I felt was doing something wrong. So all three are non-preferred options in this situation. Yeah. Um, what were some like pros and some cons about each of those that would kind of, yeah, tempt you to, to lean like that direction? So like I said, for the first one, um, leaving the job meant I was unemployed. Um, I was freshly married. Uh, 
So I would have been unemployed and not have any money, um, which is, as, we got, as you guys know, very important thing to have. Um, the middle option, which was uh, staying and teaching a class, I got to teach, which is something that I really liked. I was also offered that if I taught this class, I would be paid more. Um, one of the things that was said was, if you stay, we will pay you whatever you want. Um, so that was a really hard thing to say no to. Um, have you guys seen the price of eggs lately? <laughs> so that was one of uh, the other options as well. Um, I could teach the class um, and I could have a pay increase. But the con of that was I would still be in a place that was doing something that was wrong. And the third option, um, which I believe I said was stay and keep my mouth shut, that's pretty self-explanatory. That's I get paid, but I'm doing something that I think is wrong. Yeah. Um... And so, I mean, just w which one did you knock off there pretty quickly? Um, I knocked off the uh, stay and keep my mouth shut. That was not really a feasible option. It was one of those that, like, you're making the list and you're like, yeah, like, that's an option, but, like, it's not a good one. Yeah. So, I mean, as you guys can see, this isn't a black and white situation. You can make real kind of arguments either way that, you know, it would be better if Lindsay just left, if she kind of washed her hands of it. Um, you know, to, um, scripture will say to, to be above reproach in this world, you know, to not be involved in this scenario. Um, but there's a lot of real costs and fears that come with that. Or, you know, if she stays, we could argue she actually has the opportunity to perhaps transform the culture and to fix the problems. But at the same time, there's no guarantee of that. Meanwhile, she's still associated with the problems that are going on. You know, there's the benefit of like additional pay, getting to pick her hours in there. Um, but that's a hard choice. Um, and this is life. I'm sure you guys have been faced with things, you know, from small to large that really mirror like what Lindsay went through. So um, we won't talk too much more about pray. Again, step number five, suffice to say that Lindsay was praying and did pray all throughout it. But yeah, Lindsay, um, in the end, what did you decide and, and how did you come to that decision? I completely left. Um, I severed all ties with the place that I was working with. Um, now I made sure I didn't just like walk out one day. I made sure I went through the process of quitting appropriately um, and making sure that everything was in order there. But that is the decision that I went with. I was unemployed. Yeah. And now that you've made that decision, do you have peace about that? Yes. And it was not instantaneous. I quit and I was like, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision. What am I going to do? Um, but it ended up working out. Um, there was a period of unemployment and it wasn't easy. Um, but the Lord has really been good and, like Melissa said, sovereign and close with me in uh, providing opportunities since then. Yeah. So even knowing that you left behind like a lot of positives in um, if you had potentially stayed, you know, how what does it look like just to see the Lord like walk with you through that kind of season of then fear and unemployment? Yeah. Um, a lot of it was just kind of wrestling with my own heart about what the Lord was doing in my life, thinking like, God, like I had this job that I really liked and now it's gone. What am I going to do? And just really seeing how the Lord has put opportunities in place, um, things that I never really thought I would be doing, kind of like this, uh, were really placed in front of me and grew in that peace that I was able to feel. Yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. Sure. Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah. Give her a hand. Um, you know, when you're in the moments like Lindsay was, it can often feel like the world is just crashing down around you in order to make that decision. Um, but again, there's great hope and great peace um, in that the Lord is still at work and is still in control. Um, and as Megan was saying, like you just take the next step forward in running 
and the Holy Spirit will be with you and will partner with you in this, ladies. Um, you should all have a handout. Again, if you don't, um, there's some in that back window, or I can get some to you if you roll your hand, if you raise your hand. Um, you know, my aim today is to be helpful and practical. So this would be wasted time if you just hear this information but make no changes or applications in your life. So to that end, we are going to take um, five minutes now. There's two sections on your handout there. Um, the first is just for personal application time. And so I would love for you to take five minutes, think through the questions that are on your handout. I would encourage you to write down some thoughts, write down some answers, and then we're going to move into a time of small group discussion, just discussing some of those things with the people around you so that we can actually live this out and start making decisions and, and executing in, in a wise and godly way. So ladies, it is 12 o'clock, which is officially the end of workshops. Thanks for coming.